Better than Blade, we'll take it. Better than Blade. Blade, Blade was... fanboys are high on their own farts, quite Blade frankly. Blade was fine. Blade is fine. Blade 1 is fine. Blade 2 is boring. Blade 3 is bad. Sometimes in a good way, mostly in a bad way. Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is a podcast where we talk about 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. The given decade this year is 2010 to 2019. This is volume two. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? It is sweltering hot at the time of recording. I'm good. I've opened the window in this room, so if any fast cars go past, I apologise. I am right by a road. Yeah, I thought about it, but I can't risk it. It's too busy an area. I shaved my head last night. I can't be doing with it. Like it's, it's... I, I had my first quarantine haircut on, hey. on, on Tuesday. Wow, you left it that long? How yeah. short was it when you started? Literally the day before lockdown, I was going to get a haircut, and then it had to be cancelled. Oh my goodness. So, so I had to go that long you were at the point to... of needing one, and then... Yeah. All of lockdown. Yep. Oh my I god. I had six inches cut off my hair Jesus on Tuesday. Uh, I've shaved my head twice in that time. <laughs> I'm not a man to shave my head, so okay. it was it was pretty insane on Tuesday of this week. Yeah, my years of young thuggery have made me used to it and good at it. So. I have legitimately lost about five pounds this week just in terms of hair. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're here to talk about Love and Basketball. No, we're not. Good movie. Yeah, good movie. Matt really, really, really forgot it didn't come out in the 90s when making volume one so retroactive apology it's not on the volume one list we're going to talk about chef this is episode 34 and in the spiel i very specifically said our favorite movies and not to like cut its legs out from under it but i am aware that this movie may stick out a little bit compared to some other stuff we've picked and that's because this to me is a comfort food movie which is appropriate given it's about food in that this is a movie that i will watch when i am sad bored just needing that like warm feeling there are certain movies we go to that like maybe it's not the best movie in the world but just it makes you feel happy and that is one for me and i think that that should be recognized on a podcast where that is our brief of favorite rather than this is what we think the top 25 movies were there are some things on here that are definitely sentimental favorites more than we think they're good although most of them i think they are actually just really good but this had to be on here for me this this would be on my top 10 films of all time knowing that it's probably worse than more than half of our combined list but hey it's on here it's a big giant food movie i like watching food shows food youtube blogs um just all that sort of stuff so this is sort of like that world come to life for me so it's special to me in that way how did you enjoy watching it for the first time benjamin this movie is nice and breezy and i kind of wish that the entire movie was the second hour of this movie. Yeah, the the food truck bit is shockingly short. Yeah, I think I think they're in that truck for like half an hour. <laughs> like once the movie just kind of goes like, oh, there's not any stakes anymore, it becomes infinitely more enjoyable because yeah. I couldn't help but watch the first half of this movie and go, oh, this is John Favreau trying to purge a whole lot of demons <laughs> and writing a kind of like wanky artist fantasy type thing. Yeah, like like you watch this thing and it's like, oh, he was married to Sofia Vergara and he's currently boning Scarlett Johansson. I know, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I'm going to cast myself in this movie. Um, my ex-wife will be one of the most beautiful women in the world. My current slam piece will be one of the most beautiful women in the world. And I'm just going to win constantly. So Yeah, I think that, that's the biggest bugbear. Is the, first half, the first hour of this movie, I was just like, Jesus, John, I know you had a couple of L's with Iron Man 2 and Cowboys and Aliens, but you didn't need to make a whole movie about how you <laughs> are annoyed at people. It's 114 minutes, and I think you could lose 10 to 20 out of this from the beginning to when they actually get in the truck and yeah, give some of that to the truck. Yeah, you, you, you could cut that down to 15 minutes. Like, hell, you could open the movie with the clip of him shouting at the critic and, like, have him, like, searching around, have the conversation with Robert Downey Jr., which is just like, look, I've got a famous friend. He's in this yeah. movie. And then you just visit three or four more big foodie cities in, in yeah. America. Yeah. I mean, then you're getting into the territory where it's just like, well, why not make this a TV show? <laughs> yeah. Visiting different cultures of cuisine and stuff like that. But I would be far more enjoyable if I know they're going from Miami to LA and I'm just sat there going like, surely there's a couple more places you could hit apart from New Orleans and Austin's. Well, they made that show and it's Chef the Show, though it's not fictional, obviously. But yeah, they, they, they travel around a little bit. They make a lot of the food from the movie. They make some more food. They have celebrity guests drop by. It's a fun, easy time. It's on Netflix. Everyone check it out. It features Roy Choi, who is the food consultant hired for this movie. He's producer he trained favreau he was like i will only do this if you show this world authentically he had to work in his restaurant for a while he sent him to a culinary school for like two weeks intensive course or something and everything in here is his creation if you watch to the end credits you can see him teaching him how to make that perfect cheese toasty i did want to ask so obviously there's a lot of shots of hands creating food and mm -hmm. i was intrigued like is it all favreau for the entire movie because some of it is framed in such a way where you're cut from favreau's face and it'll pan down but like you'll pass a table or a desk or something and it will kind of be like oh they could have hidden the cut in there yeah. someone else's arms i and think most of it is favreau there might be some of because obviously the the complexity of the dishes he's making varies greatly and i think you know we talked about how you could cut that first section down quite a lot that first section is the like this is the fine dining type menu mm. or the like you know proper restaurant dishes and i think some of that is just so that they can have these food porn sections where he is just angrily cooking this like insanely good food. Well, that's the um, thing. Is like probably my biggest annoyance for the movie is, and this is skipping ahead a little bit, but <laughs> it kind of gets into it. Is like so he when he gets fired from the restaurant and goes home to like prepare this meal. I was sat there waiting for the moment where he like sends the pictures of what he's doing mm. to the critic and going like, "This is what I would have made you if all the yeah. stuff happened in there," and kind of getting this one-upmanship and kind of going like, "This is what I can make." with mm. completely unfettered and instead it turns into that shouting match and I was just <laughs> so disappointed that it didn't turn into him going like I can still cook yeah. look how good this food is because the food he cooks when he's at home in that like he's got like a little kitchen island and then he also has like embedded like fries tables and yeah, stuff like yeah. that and he just like creates food on and it's like that's I like amazing. that he's got like an insane kitchen but the apartment in general or the house in general doesn't look all that nice um, yeah. it's just like yeah this is where I put all my money because this is all I care about I think most of it is Favreau. There might be one or two shots where they're getting someone else to do some of it. But yeah, like he he learned. Roy taught him all of this stuff on the show. You on the chef show, you can see him. He's not like you know. He's obviously not a chef standard, 
but he is better than your average person for sure and he does take it seriously like and like i think that's he wanted to make this because he wanted to shine a spotlight on you know the world of chefs and and and, and cooks and yeah i mean so it we is a, talking, it's a passion project yeah we were talking beforehand about how there aren't a lot of like really great food movies no it's very easy to kind of like do a scene of someone cooking a good meal but there are very few movies that are like very intently focused on the process of actually creating good food and i think the thing this has over a lot of them is a more authentic contemporary spotlight on where food is now like Mm. there are loads of movies set in like a fancy restaurant or something like that this is like food has spun more to the world of street food of of kind of reimagined quick and dirty dishes but done in a in a fancier way now barbecue you know all that sort of stuff and i think this is actually incorporating that in a more authentic way than your average movie does because i mean there are loads of movies where it's like yeah it's about food but you don't actually really see that much cooking or anything like that and like you know obviously ratatouille ratatouille is ratatouille it is king but like that is a very like romantic like french cuisine like children's story type thing rather than like this is what it's like to be in a in a a kitchen where all the chefs are covered in tattoos and are like vulgar as shit which is accurate like this idea that like these people with sleeve tattoos 30 years ago they were going to mug you and now they're going to cook you a three michelin star meal like Mm. i mean i I think i think all of the best food i've had in places like i've been to austin texas i didn't get to eat franklin's because it's an insane (laughs) they sell out by midday (laughs) yeah exactly you have to get there at six o'clock in the morning you have to bring a chair and sit out in the sweltering sun and we were there to like do other things but like one of the best places i ate there was casino el camino where it was just it's literally run by like bikers who have got tattoos and if you don't follow the rules exactly they will just shout at you from the kitchen and it's aggressive but like in a a kind of fun way yeah and then when we were in malaysia and singapore a couple of years ago like literally every single place that we were eating at was uh hawker stands and like just Mm. places on the street and all these different things and it's definitely where food is moving to nowadays and you see more and more of it of like whilst there are a few places that will go i'm going to progress from owning a food truck into having a brick and mortar location they'll probably still keep the food truck roy Choi, his his food truck is is called kogi i believe it, it, it's visible in the ending scene where there's a big the place in la where it's just a big row of food trucks he still has that but he does operate restaurants as well i think he just sort of rotates as he sees fit whatever he feels like doing that night yeah so he absolutely has kept his food truck you know we don't know what happens at the end of this movie but you assume that he still has his truck as well as El yeah, Jefe's. Yeah, you, you see the little the little model of it they've got in the restaurant at the very end. They yeah, built, which is cute, built the yeah. food truck. <laughs> which is so weird to like romanticise where they started. I understand why they've done it, but like they were on it for what, a week, two weeks? I know, I they... know. I have to assume they filmed a lot of it and he just needed to cut it down and he was like attached to that first 40 minutes to an hour for like what he perceived to be like you know you have to do this you have to ground the world you have to like build the characters and everything but it's like really the thing that people remember about this movie is the food montages certainly from that first hour but then just them having a fun time on this truck yeah Um, i mean like i don't remember anything of the relationship with scarlett johansson apart from the fact in one scene he makes a really fucking great pasta yes he sure does 
So, we've talked about it in broad terms quite a lot, but yeah, so written and directed by John Favreau, really nothing else to consider from him this decade, as you said, Iron Man 2, Cowboys and Aliens, sort of not great. Jungle Book and Lion King, I haven't seen either, I, assume, uh, I think Jungle, you've seen Jungle both. Book is, Jungle Book is better than Lion King, That's only what I've because heard. <laughs> Jungle Book kind of has the benefit of having a real person in yep. it, and it does more interesting things with the actual plot of Jungle Book, like it doesn't do a lot, but Lion King is literally just, why does this exist, why are you mm-hmm. doing a beat-for-beat recreation? of this movie except Beyonce shows up it's a wonderful technical display but it's just a a bizarre waste of a movie. Life of Pi really ruined the world didn't it? That's quite good, though. I know, but, like, people saw that CGI tiger and were like, fuck, we could just remake everything. God, that is the main issue, and Disney have obviously gone wholesale into it, and every so often there's one that you're like, oh, maybe this is worthwhile, and then... Maybe Mulan, for $30 in your own home. (laughs) I will not let that go. So, this was released May 9th, 2014 in the US, June 25th in the UK. We're going to be in 2014 for quite a while, so we don't want to spam through any of the big stuff we normally talk about so i don't know if you just want to talk about its opening weekend or something like that so this movie opened in south by southwest which feels kind of playing to the hometown crowd Uh in terms of the fact that there is literally a scene in austin and so playing (laughs) at south by southwest feels a bit like oh look we're gonna get this but as for the british opening weekend it opens at number five with the equivalent of one million us dollars behind behind such great movies as maleficent 22 jump street the fault in our stars and the obvious number one at the uk box office was seven million dollars equivalent to Mrs. Brown Boy's movie. Fuck. I was going to say that's not bad, but now I, I can't take that back. Americans never Google it. Yeah, this is definitely a film that, like, the people I work with at film festivals and at an arts pitch house were, like, very excited for this to come out, and I'd never heard of it. And, uh, yeah, I think it was that kind of crowd's bag. Yeah, it, 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 it's like, it's not going to set the world alight at your, like, big film festivals. You're not going to come away and go, like, this is going to win the Oscar. This is the Golden Bear. <laughs> yeah, but this is the kind of thing that you could see someone pitching a decent amount of money for it and just kind of giving it a decent release date which I mean obviously this movie comes out two months after the festival premiere so presumably it already had a, a deal in place it was just trying to build that little bit of buzz because it's a movie made comparatively cheap there's only 11 million dollars I believe on the budget it's not going to take a lot I think film. it helps when you cast yourself in the lead and get some of your famous friends to do cheap cameos and stuff mm. like that 11 million made 46 so not bad for how small this movie is i would say yeah i mean a decent for a movie made for for a movie that probably got released in such a comparatively small amount of places for i wouldn't say it's niche but that there's no big stars like obviously you watch the trailer and they're really big up oh they're like oh look robert downey jr's here and scarlett johansson's here (laughs) dustin hoffman yeah exactly like it's playing on the fact that a lot of these people are just around and probably taking like a pay cut to appear in this thing favours for Favreau Danny Jr. is not getting Avengers money for appearing in this movie it wouldn't shock me if he did this for free to be honest like Mm. you gave me Iron Man and revitalised my career I've made so many millions of dollars thanks to you I'll come and do a one day shoot on your movie for scale or something like that I don't know but then again that man asks for a lot of money to appear in things so maybe maybe it's 10 million dollars to Downey and 1 million to make the movie it's weird to think just how this is what his one of only two or three appearances movies that aren't I know. Marvel this I know. decade it's crazy it's like this the judge the soloist possibly so his decade after Iron Man 2 he's in Love and Distrust Jude Sherlock Holmes 2 
Chef, the Judge, and then nothing until Doolittle. And I feel a lot of those first couple you said there are things that he kind of recorded before Iron Man had really blown up or something. You know, like... Yeah. He fits them in in the window between Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2, presumably. Yeah, and then he becomes the world's highest paid actor and does nothing but Tony Stark until Doolittle, which terrible. But it's just crazy, like, seeing him doing his thing and then seeing him in something like this where he's getting to be a little bit more, you know, like, raunchy or whatever. It's just like, why aren't you in things? Like, seriously, where are you? <laughs> he could do so much and he's fun in the little cameo he's got. I think yeah. it's... Again, it's a little bit self-serving, where the entire point of it is, oh, he's banging... Not only is he banging Sofia Vergara, but he's also banging Robert Downey Jr.'s ex-wife. Yes, and also his hot secretary, and... It, it has big improv energy, his scene, <laughs> but yes. it's a little bit too... It's the part where it calls back to itself, where it feels a little bit sorkiny, where people are having two conversations at once, where I'm like, okay, maybe it isn't, but it has that energy about it, though. So, let's just get into it. So, Favreau plays Carl Casper, who was a big hotshot chef, runs a very safe uh, restaurant now. He has a big review coming from a food critic, and he gets into it with the owner of the restaurant about the menu, and he relents to the demand, cooks the normal food, and he gets a mediocre review. So, right from the start, like, they, it's very clearly important that they represent this world properly, from, like, the way they handle stuff in the kitchen, to cleaning their stations, to, like, the look, the feel, the foul language, the, they have, like, their little, like, you'll, you'll see when he gets fired, or when he quits, like, he has a little roll of knives, and, and he says to his son later, like, the knife is yours, not the kitchen this is a legit thing and like Sass used to work in a restaurant and one of the chefs got pulled over by the police and he's like why have you got a roll of knives and he's like I'm a chef this is a thing sorry and like right at the start Inez his his ex-wife has that suggestion about the food truck and it's it's like right there from the the first like five minutes and, and you're just sort of like get to the food truck get to the food truck but yeah, and like they established the relationship with the son. Favreau raved about this kid who was 10 when they filmed it. Child actors are generally great or annoying, and I'm not saying he's destined to go on to greatness, but pretty good in this, I think. Yeah, like, good. He does what he's asked to do quite well. He's not done an awful lot since looking at his list of credits. He's in Jungle Book, isn't he? Or he does... he's, a vo- he's a voice in Jungle Book. I think of one of the little wolf cubs in mm. Jungle Book, but he doesn't do a lot. He's one of the kids in the Bad Mum series. Okay. Um, but look, look, he he does what he's asked to do. He's charismatic. He plays off well of Favreau and yep. Guizamo, which is about all you need to do. Like yep. he doesn't get in the way. He does what he needs to do. Sometimes I think he's a little less good when he's asked to do kind of bigger emotions. But yeah, that's when he's kind of angry at him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of like what you expect from this. But just him yeah. having a joy at cooking with his dad, I think he does. Yeah, uh, that's well. the thing. We spend this first like hour where their relationship is a little bit frosty. Where where, like, this is the thing. He thinks that being a good dad to the kid is taking him to the fair, taking him to go see Iron Man. Cute little audio cameo there. All this sort of stuff. And he very much keeps his food world cut off from his family life and everything else. And he, he's just failing to see that his son just wants to engage with him about something he likes and like actually talk to him and share this with him. And then when he finally shares that with him, they have the best time of their lives and everything. But yeah, like you see it here where he's like ranting at him about like, oh, the food here isn't the same as it is in Miami and New Orleans and like, don't eat kettle corn, it's garbage. And like, you have the a phone, why do you... Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> and they're like, you know, why do you have a phone and like all of this? 
this sort of stuff and like you know i think i think it does a good job of portraying that favreau has not checked out of the relationship but is definitely struggling to figure out how to fit his son into his life when they are not living together yeah exactly yeah because he'll say that thing of just i miss just hanging out with you when we live together as opposed to like let's make this an event and go somewhere and it's like yeah sometimes that's fun but like when you don't have the other side of it it's less fun i don't think he's ever like a total bad dad but he's sort of giving off some like not the best dad energy for this first hour yeah i think the movie does the misfortune of like it starts at like a high stress point yeah, and so he's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. like reflexively pushing his son away because he's stressed about this review that's going to come in yeah exactly so dustin hoffman owns the restaurant scarlett johansson is the the smellier yeah the, yeah the I can't... front of house it's like she yeah she does the wine pairings and also is the person who like seats people yeah so sort of a half half maitre d', half sommelier... Yeah, uh, a hostess. Oh, they call them hostesses, don't they? Yeah, I think that's a thing in America. All of these people being better than they need to be, I think, holds the movie together. Yeah, like, when it it doesn't just have that pure, wholesome energy of the truck to power it forward, when it's threatening to be like, this is boring and unnecessary. You've got Hoffman and ScarJo and Amy Sedaris and all these people. It's just like, you didn't need to get these people, but you did, and it helps. <laughs> yeah, like the two the two friends in the kitchen being John Leguizamo and Bobby mm. Cannavale just kind yeah. of being charismatic and having fun helps impart that with stuff. And obviously, it like they're talking in very broad terms and uh, vaguely problematic terms in terms of the way that they talk about women. But it's... <laughs> Do you need like a date? database yeah (laughs) it feels like it adds to like the 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 culture of this kind of world yeah it feels it feels authentic like them being this way and you use twitter to get pussy yeah (laughs) what you're getting too much pussy like you know yeah all this him and dustin hoffman have this power struggle over like whose staff are they like don't talk to my staff that way like this is my restaurant you cook for me i've had chefs before you have chefs after you it's an art versus money argument it's play the hits like you'd be furious if you got stones tickets and they didn't play satisfaction i think in this first scene he's actually got some points Yes. And then he beca- it, it becomes a bit more of a, like, you're wrong and he's right and it's good versus evil type thing. But I think in this yeah, first th- scene, he actually comes across as somewhat reasonable. Yeah, the first one, it's just him saying, like, don't do anything stupid, your ideas haven't worked in the past. But then when he comes in the second time and the entire reason that he managed to sell out the restaurant that night is because people are here to watch a chef make good food. Yeah. To then come in and go make the same food you made last time, it just kind of undercuts the entire thing and is a complete misunderstanding of why people are in the restaurant. It just feels unrealistic for someone to be that out of touch and not understand yeah. what's going on. The first time it feels potentially justified, but considering this business was drummed up because of what happened, it's like, this is so tone deaf. And then the review is so brutal, like the extended metaphor of a like cloying aunt with her saggy cleavage and everything. It's just like, oh god, this is this is brutal. So yeah, he's frustrated by that. He gets introduced to Twitter, which you you texted me and you were like, Is this film about a Twitter spat? And I was like, kind of. <laughs> they get into a bit of a flame war. He invites him to come back and he'll do a new menu. So yeah, this is where we get this. We get like four of these in a row, these like food porn montages, starting with him making aglio e olio for ScarJo, this pasta dish, while she is borderline touching herself, waiting for him to finish this. Just like just watching, like, like, like You see the moment he puts the parsley in and she's just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. To his credit, okay, he casts... 
Sofia Vergara and Scarlett Johansson as his two ladies. I don't think he kisses either of them at any point. Maybe They're at very the close in the weed scene. Sure, but like it's not like he cast himself to have an extended love scene with either of them, you know? No, like, no. He showed I love the some love scenes restraint. on food. Exactly, yeah. The other big strength about this movie, I think, is the soundtrack. Like, there's mm. a lot of, like, Latin swing covers. There's the high brass band. You get the, the Wu-Tang instrumental. All this stuff. And, like, yeah, setting this cool music to him just making this food with passion. Just all of these in a row. Put them in loop. Put them in my brain. I love it, love it, love it. We see some stuff with Inez. I do like that she's still really nice nice to him it's not this like catty relationship between them and like for a while it's not even clear if they're actually divorced or just he's just not living there together because they had some sort of falling out but she's like i don't not want to be married to you anymore but yeah you need to be out of here for a while but then they do establish yes they got divorced but she says i don't like what he wrote about you that like there is still that level of caring for someone who meant a lot to you at one point that this this review tore him apart and she's trying to like hook him up with her publicist and i fucking love that it's princess carolyn um because i was like this is what a year before bojack starts or the same year that bojack starts yeah and it's like did this get you princess <laughs> carolyn because well is... you have to you have to assume that like the bojack was probably in production when yeah premiered, but the fact that she's playing the same role yeah and it's like it feels like princess carolyn dialogue i mean she's a bit dumber like when she's just like so you don't want me to call them i'll just email them I'll let you know how it went, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he, she's trying to offer him chef's table after she gets in the big fight and everything. But yeah, it was just such a weird thing where like, I would imagine when I first saw this movie, I'd never seen Bojack. This didn't stick in my memory. And then obviously since then, I'm just like, oh my God, it's Princess Carolyn. Playing an agent or a... What's the difference between an agent and a manager, Ben? <laughs> and then again, furiously cooking this test menu that they try some of the sauces. But I think that's the thing. I see, especially the one when he quits and then like makes this giant just smorgasbord of food i'm like who was gonna eat that like obviously the crew but in the fiction world you just made this and then left like yeah i think that's, that's my annoyance is like he doesn't do anything with it he cooks yeah. it for himself to prove that he can do yeah, it and, and he doesn't do anything with it and yeah. instead he he torpedoes his career and like the yeah. montage is fun because you're cutting between mm-hmm. him making this delicious series of food and the critic being like wheeled out the same old shit that he got beforehand like the egg with the caviar on top and yeah. and like and his reactions to it are quite funny that menu is so on point like this is what every restaurant like this does the chocolate lava cake particularly it's like such a gastro pub type thing and it's just such safe food that looks slightly fancy but like is nothing original at all yeah i oliver platt is is great here i think his brother is a food critic so i'm sure that was pretty easy for him to slip into and yeah around this point yeah the the ongoing theme of having to be shown to Twitter and this sort of pervasive idea that a lot of this is old men struggling with technology. Like, when you get the cop on the, the van with the camera phone and everything, it's just like, okay. Like, it's not quite, like, with Social Network we talked about how it's kind of like, it's made by, like, 40, 50-year-old men talking about this young, cutting-edge tech. It's not quite like that. And it's instead played for a joke. But I actually think this has got a really strong understanding of how Twitter works. Like when I think about how social media is portrayed in movies, this movie is actually using it quite well. And it does help that you've got the kids in there to Mm -hmm. like 
level off some of the things but this feels like obviously at this point we're probably about four or five years removed from when smartphones become pervasive so this is probably an early foray into what exactly social media can do and i'm sure we're going to get far better representations of social media as we move into a period where like kids Mm. who've grown up with this shit their entire lives (laughs) have access to it like the fact that we have a horror movie made in zoom I think it says a lot about where we're at in terms of technology. But the yeah. fact that Jean Favreau is able to nail down what exactly Twitter was in 2014 mm. and showing you how these re- relationships go. And obviously, like, part of the plot of the movie is based on Casper's inability to understand the difference between a private message and <laughs> an at. But it does feel realistic in terms of the way that information travels. They don't do stupid numbers. When they wake up in the morning, it's like, oh, 2,000 people followed you. And I could see a version of this movie where someone comes and goes like, you've got 16,000 followers. Yeah, 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 yeah. This timeline is just, 2,000 is a big number, but it's not so big that it feels out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, you're not going to get 20,000, 30,000, a million off one tweet when you're, you know, let's not go crazy. Like, he's a known chef in the area or, or in, in the, the realm of, of, of culinary stuff. But, like, it's not like he's a mega celebrity who signed up and instantly gets a million followers. Like, that, it snowballs from there. I, yeah, I it feels like a realistic one, number. Yeah. My one complaint of it is he signs up as Chef Carl Casper and mm-hmm. obviously Ramsey Michelle kind of, like, responds to the tweet. And I couldn't help but think, like, he hasn't been verified, surely. <laughs> Was so verified even act- a thing in 2014? Exactly. But how does he know that this is the real person, like... And also, like- this is the era where you can only DM them if you both follow each other, which that can still be our setting, you can have your dms open it does have that same thing with social network where we commented that like the ui has changed so much over the years that it looks a bit strange seeing how it used to look all that sort of stuff i like his cute little thing about like what websites can a child get on that have bad language and he's like youtube he's like youtube has bad language and it's just like oh bless you it does it does feel like they're needling around some of this stuff like there is an awareness <laughs> of how this stuff is going like the idea that we're having a conversation about youtube and profanity and kids access to it in 2014 Mm. actually feels kind of intelligent and and perceptive of where things are going to go in the next kind of five years yeah for sure because like kids don't watch tv anymore kids watch youtube and it's sort of unregulated you know you don't want the the fcc or whoever to step in and completely monitor everything but like yeah kids can conceivably look at almost anything <laughs> yes absolutely and then you get like the the indian houses who are just churning through produced content to kind of like gum up the works and just have people watch videos endlessly it's yeah, yeah, yeah. a weird place kids youtube and i think like the social media stuff i actually think works quite well <laughs> it's just the rant at the critic is what <laughs> rankled me and it's a similar thing that rankles me when i watch birdman in terms of art versus the critical uh, view. yeah yeah and artists I, slashing out at critics especially when you put it through that meta lens of like you said he comes off Iron Man 2 and, and Cowboys and Aliens and then he comes and makes this small passion product you know he is Carl Casper like you, yes. the big studio movies are the restaurant game he gets slaughtered by critics and then he comes out and makes this small intimate back to basics thing yeah like when he comes in and he's just sort of like just raging at him to his face and like you're not getting to me he screams over and over <laughs> again as he drove all the way down here after quitting and not to compare it to Ratatouille, but when you have possibly the greatest speech about what it means to be a critic criticising art, you, you're not creating in Ratatouille, it kind of comes off a little bit a pale comparison. They're very similar in terms of what they're ranting against, but the Ratatouille scene coming from a point of view of 
finding something underheralded and it changing their perception versus the little critic going after the person who's just trying to do their best but is hamstrung by the man. It might be like completely different things. Yeah, like the idea that you're entitled to good reviews is. I do think there is somewhere in the middle of that argument where, like, I do feel some critics are a little bit too gatekeeper wanky, but for sure, like, this and Birdman, it is a little bit, like, the evil critics who are destroying the livelihoods of these humble artists and everything. Yeah, and I think, and I think but the reason why it's not as quite as grating in this as it is in Birdman is because ultimately the critic is right. Yeah, and, and it's I think played that's... for laughs against the protagonist, whereas Birdman, it's, like, very much, like, you know, that <laughs> the critic, critic is, like, is evil. The bad guy. Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like him grabbing the cake and like it's fucking molten, you idiot. <laughs> I also like he's completely disinterested in Reva. Like when he tries to bring over the wine to be like, oh, I got you this really special wine. This will make up for the fact that there's no different menu. And it's just like, okay, that's great, but I'm here for the food. I think that's my biggest disappointment in this scene, though, is that no one has the guts to tell him that the chef isn't there. It's an open plan kitchen. He can see he's not there. They even give you that shot where he's looking over and you can see Bobby Cannavale and, and John Leguizamo like arguing in the kitchen because like you know he quits and Tony stays out of fear for his job and everything and and I do like that Martin offers to quit as well and then he has the sense of it no 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 don't you quit like go back and that he will later like congratulate Tony and and all that sort of stuff like that that part is nice it's not like a you have betrayed me yeah, in the I, moment he wanted him to go with him but he knows that he's right I just kind of wish they moved around some yeah. of the pieces of this so that yeah. like it wasn't you can still prove that he's a good chef and you don't have this moment of him being humiliated or whatever and I understand yeah. And that the whole point of it is the subtext of the movie is a social media blowout and building yourself and how yeah, you can yeah. use this new technology to kind of like promote yourself and all the rest of it. But yeah, I just and kind of... you don't have to be a slave to the traditional like fine dining restaurant world. Like you can, there are different spaces in food where you can use creativity and like you know have a little bit more autonomy and stuff. Yeah, I just um, wish that they did a little bit more at this point to kind of the food that he's made is really good and he still loses his job, but he doesn't yeah, lose space yeah. with the critic and he can use that to kind of go off and do the food truck. I just, yeah. like, well, just I, reshuffle it a little bit. To... Almost like where the critic basically gives him the nudge, like, well, maybe you should go somewhere and go make this food or something like that. Yeah, I don't exactly. Know, but again, I still enjoy those montages. I enjoy some of the energy of, like, these these interactions between these these famous people, but, like, this is where we start getting into, like, what the movie actually is, because Inez convinces Carl to go with her and Percy to Miami to see her father, and while there, he borrows money from Inez's first ex-husband Robert Downey Jr. to buy a food truck. So yeah, that's where you get Princess Carolyn as the publicist. This is where you get Tony apologising at the bar. I, I do like the scene where Scarlett Johansson tells him, we've had fun, it's time for you to go. Sort of calling him out on, you have neglected your son because of this, and you're clearly frustrated, and it's time for you to leave. Like, I wouldn't quite call her a manic pixie dream girl, but it does have that energy of, like, women having to tell men to grow up kind of thing. But it's, it's kind of just like, well, I've convinced you to be in the film, I should give you a little send-off scene, I suppose. Yeah, she is functionally not there for a lot other than to kind of also give him a nudge into doing what he needs to do. It is a shame that the kind of the two biggest female roles in this movie don't have a hell of a lot to do. No, it it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. No, and both (laughs) of them kind of have this... I find it more understandable than some of those other movies where like you have lots of women falling all over him because Mm. this man is obviously talented, I think. That is something that is inherently attractive. Someone who is so knowledgeable about one thing and is able to do that one thing really well is inherently an attractive 
quality in Pas- someone. Passion and talent are attractive, yes. Yeah, I'm not questioning that maybe he would be able to, like, get one or two of these ladies. <laughs> I think it's just the issue that you look, it's written by John Favreau, directed by John Favreau, played by John Favreau, that it begins to get a little bit like, okay, yeah. come on, you're laying on a little thick right now. But the idea of Carl Casper having these attractive women in his life who, whilst they are limited only into nudging him into where obviously he needs to be, mm. it's just, I wish there was more to them, or like, you only have one of them in the movie. Kind it's of kind of like, they both are just nice to him, they both point out the right thing he should do, I don't know, there's no like, genuine conflict there, sort of thing, but yeah, I mean, but that's that's the thing that I find fascinating about the second hour of this movie is obviously the conflict of the first hour of the movie is mm. when is he going to leave the restaurant to go start a food truck? The conflict of the second hour of the movie is there isn't there isn't that's actually the thing that i think is nicest about it and makes it such a warm feel-good movie is you are so trained to expect a huge blow-up in act three some sort of giant drama and the closest it gets is him saying when we get back to la you can't work on the truck and it lasts for about one minute um there's like two of those with his son there's the one where like his son offers to give someone a burnt sandwich becomes like a brief point of contention yeah the argument they have after his son doesn't want to clean out one of the pans and like all of them they last about two minutes yeah. and they're just making so much money and there is just no conflict and again it is but you're just really expecting nice. the scene where like the truck crashes or the kid cuts his finger off or something ridiculous like that to like make it more dramatic and it's like no it's just gonna be nice from here on out screw yeah, which you is, which is why I wish we got his sooner it's why I would yeah, yeah. cut down him in the restaurant yeah, to yeah. 15 minutes half an hour and we just got a couple more cities yeah. on this road trip a bit more food a few more stories about how you're going to do and i understand that maybe they didn't have any more ideas of what to do mm. rather than like what they do in this second hour yeah but i think it becomes so much more like a warm bath yeah exactly of a movie yeah. if you extend this section there is that subtle comment about the nanny can't fly mm-hmm. okay there's a lot of subtle immigration yes <laughs> there is very cute when percy's asleep on his grandfather inez saying that carl's sandwich are better than the ones in this restaurant they're in and then yeah Robert Downey Jr. shows up he is this sort of like control freak with you have to wear the little uh, what do you call those like the little plastic booties or whatever and he wants him to pick carpet samples and he's like well everyone's slipping over because of the boots and he's like well you can just have them not wear them he's like no 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 (laughs) they have to wear those so I have to have carpet He's really just here to be charismatic for two minutes so he can put him in the trailers and on the poster but hey it's fun. I do like, as you go across all the countries, you see the menu expand. Because obviously it starts off mm-hmm. after this first scene in, in Miami with them going like, right, we're going to do Cuban sandwiches and yep. yucca fries. This romantic idea of just writing the menu from fresh on a chalkboard every morning or every city. We don't have to have a set menu that's been printed and that we have to commit to. We can just go to work, the local food market, pick out some ingredients and make a menu around that. And like some of the stuff they keep and like it goes with them. Like They make beignets in Texas after they did them in New Orleans and stuff like that so that yeah, stays yeah, with them assume that the the austin brisket sandwich oh i mean they've only got a, a finite amount of that but yeah I, I i love that about it as well but like and that's the point is he's getting to cook what he wants and he's getting to like you see when he takes percy to the market 
earlier, he's kind of just ranting at him a little bit. But then when he takes him this second and third time, he's trying to teach him. He's like, this is what this is, and you pick ingredients and then you make a menu around those rather than you go sh- you come up with a menu and then you go shopping for the ingredients and then you're like, oh, this isn't quite as nice as I wanted it to be. But yeah, and like him getting his creative flair back and everything. But before they can open the truck, they have to renovate it. And as you said, like they have this little argument about he wants him to clean it all out and he cleans something that they're going to throw away and that frustrates him and then like there's some kind of disgusting build-up of something in a pan and he throws the whole pan out he's like no that's a good pan keep it clean it out and it is fucking gross but he does thankfully pretty quickly like realize this was a bit much and just apologizes to him he's like you did a really good job please come back yeah he's using like chef energy rather than dad energy yeah and that's the thing he's hesitant to be left with percy inez drops him off at the truck and is like bye and he has kept him out of this world and then you can immediately kind of see why because he can't i mean it's sounds like i'm apologizing for him here which i'm not but like he can't be his dad in this world in the same way he can outside of it or he can but like he'd be compromising his own values or whatever and he he learns to sort of do both i guess but this is the reason that he has kept him out of this world because it is a demanding world it is a world where you have to have thick skin and a short memory you will get shouted at and you just have to move on from it and then um martin's showing up and uh, getting the hispanic workers to to help them out like just they're trying to get help moving this giant oven onto the truck and they can't do it and then he just whistles and sweet talks them in spanish offers them free sandwiches and cerveza and stuff and yeah it's just a cute little thing yeah um, I, I do like it's very obviously which one of bobby cannavale or john leguizamo is free to come across america for a little bit <laughs> yeah. to come hang out and yeah. so they only managed to get one of them but they do set it up earlier that martin is willing to drop everything to follow this guy whereas tony is a bit more career i've got to think about though, my life and my stability and yeah, yeah even though he's <laughs> the one who's like drinking and doing drugs before he comes into work the next morning yeah, just completely strung out in his car and stuff but no I, I i do like it and obviously it does add a little bit of something to have another charismatic presence here. he's just like a good little like he's nice to the kid he's got a good energy he's the showman he draws the crowd and he's also just 100 percent supportive of carl and he also brings the fun side out of carl like when they're like singing sexual healing or whatever percy is just like embarrassed but like it's that thing of like seeing your father as not your father kind of thing like seeing who they actually are when they normally have all these guards up and they're in parent mode yeah i think that is captured yeah. really and well i think i don't i don't want to like prescribe anything onto the movie but obviously john favreau i believe is jewish there's not a lot of latinx in him no <laughs> The cuisine that they're doing and the kind of areas of America that they're traveling through in terms of the South, they kind of do need some personal color there to kind of help it along. And so John Luisiamo works that point where it doesn't feel like appropriation of food culture, although obviously no. I know that's a vaguely controversial sentiment to have in the food business it is very tricky because you do get white chefs western chefs who are doing food that you could get at a tiny little street place for like five dollars and they're charging you like a hundred dollars for it in a restaurant like that kind of thing and sort of fetishizing a culture down to just its food that is all tricky but they say how he got his start in miami that he was a an edgy chef in miami that you know he obviously married a latina lady you know like who has <laughs> the grandfather being in one of these big bands and stuff where he's it's very of this energy and like he surrounded himself with like latino chefs 
drafts and stuff and like yeah like he is the white boy doing this but like I don't know he's like authentically there and like part of it and he has an enthusiasm for it and everything so yeah, yeah I kind of wish we got a little bit more time in Miami like if this is where he was supposed to get his his start yeah like maybe go buy his old restaurant or something yeah, yeah. and like maybe do some some stuff there again like all, all I would want from this movie is expanding on the section where it's just yep. going to different places and trying food of different cultures turn like, those 40 minutes into 20 extend Miami extend the truck because it's because you it's, don't need to do two restaurant critic scenes like you could just do the one like he gets the bad review and then he flips out rather than like he gets the bad review and then the critic comes back and all of that yeah like you could yeah, assume... I, I don't want, I don't want to hop it it's just I want more of yeah. the stuff that I like it this is the stuff I think of when I think of the movie and the rest is just sort of like necessary to get there kind of thing but it's also the stuff that obviously like we said they spin off into TV shows and all the rest of it but it does feel like that section of the movie is an entire swathe of what we perceive as food culture now. I wouldn't say that this movie is a template, I just think it was tapping into something that was obviously going to become very important in terms of like just the idea of prepping food and talking about all these different things and obviously like there's been a reckoning in that world. You watch the fallout of places like Bon Appetit at the moment Oh god, yeah. (laughs) And how like how you do not want this stuff to become so personality centric where like sometimes that is actually the death knell and you want the food to be the thing that speaks for itself rather mm. than the personalities. But because... you say that, but then Brad and Claire single-handedly make Bon Appetit so, like, popular in yeah, some but ways. Then Brad but then they're the silent million ones. dollars over yeah. three years. And... Yeah, and, like, he was doing the hiring. I don't know if he's dictating the salaries of these people that were getting paid less, but certainly they have been complicit in their silence during all of this while people yes. are quitting out of protests and everything. Yeah, I mean, to the point where, like, they are not doing, have not done videos in two months now they or have, whatever. They have to clear house and start that fresh, honestly. Like, but I think I think that's the thing is like you watch this movie that I don't think it's quite understanding where food culture is going, but it's definitely like nibbling around some of the points with this kind it's of combination the between you'll see in a movie like this. I think. Yes, exactly. And we can talk about other food movies, maybe nailing like just how good food is and mm. the love of food, but. I do think this movie is scrambling at something in terms of how we yeah. digest food nowadays, to the point where, like, one of the most popular, successful YouTube shows is literally a show where people eat hot wings. <laughs> yeah. You talked about, like, the, the conflict of him trying to sell uh, serve the burnt sandwich. I actually think this one is well handled because, like, the way he treats him here versus how he treated him with the pan and, and other stuff is so different, where it's a far more measured... Like, I'm teaching you as a chef why you shouldn't do this. I'm not scolding you as an authority figure. That I take this seriously. I love this. I'm having... I would like to share this with you. Do you think you should have served this sandwich? And he, he says no, and he's like, good get back on the truck. I'd still eat that sandwich. Well, obviously, yeah. I'm not uh, opposed these, to burnt sandwich. There is a really nice sandwich place near us and we ordered a couple to eat and we tried to time it so that they turned up right around the stretch and we nailed it. They do do Cubanos normally but they didn't have any so that ruined it a bit but we had, we had these nice sandwiches while watching this and what, yeah. What that's... is a yucca fry like? I don't think Yucca fries? Uh, I've yeah. never had them either no but uh, I, was, I, I don't know if they're like similar to a like a sweet potato or if they're... I think you're roughly in that window yeah. So yeah 
they begin the journey. And Percy uses Carl's Twitter popularity to start cultivating a business. He starts an Instagram account, a Vine account. He runs a Facebook page. R.I.P. Vine. R.I.P. Vine. Right, look, I'm a million years old. I need someone to tell me what the difference between TikTok and Vine is. Other than Vine got killed and then TikTok took its place. (laughs) Vine was shorter and TikTok was kind of more based around the idea of having music in the background. Right, and people lip-syncing to stuff. Yeah. yeah, like the idea, like it's a combination of musically and is another that legal? website. Can, is that not a breach of whatever dumb rules mean you can't play a song? In, uh, in... I assume that they've signed a deal with Tencent or whatever who owns TikTok. Of and... course, and Trump's going to get it banned along yeah, with Fortnite and... and everything else. Yeah, I assume it's just a combination <laughs> of those things where they've signed a deal with them so they've got access to all this music and it just yeah. makes stuff go viral. Like Megan the Stallion is not as popular as she is if her song had not gone viral on TikTok. This is true. Yeah, so this is just the half hour of the movie that you just want on loop forever where they they go to South Beach they go to New Orleans they go to Texas and Martin is the hype man and he is just like on the the loudspeaker I do like that he pimped the truck up as well by the way but like he's like oh I don't, my cousin he does this kind of stuff I'll get a lick of paint on it and then he he drives it around the corner it's got aluminum rims and and like you know it's it's a little bit more garish I think than Carl imagined but yeah and yeah writing that menu on the chalkboard and going shopping for the stuff and you know they make all of this stuff and the cop with all these ridiculous pictures together and, and everything and then Percy does try and talk about this time lapse video early on but we don't see it for a bit <laughs> I did get annoyed about that one second every single day and then proceeds to play about 60 clips implying that they'd done this for two months no I think I coming for the same day yeah and I yeah that's the thing I think it, it is authentically one second clips but several of them are very clearly from the same day because this is like a week I think uh, that they're doing this or two like where are they showering we see them sleeping in the truck but I think they just and, don't shower for a week and putting cornstarch on their putting balls putting cornstarch yeah. on their balls that's kind of funny though like he, he wakes his dad up to be like oh he's done this and he just immediately was like give me some <laughs> <laughs> and then New Orleans obviously like he takes him to get beignets and that line of like oh what are we what else do we have to do and he's like nothing we're just hanging out and just like how much that means to Percy but then they get back and there's this huge line because Percy has promoted the hell out of the truck you get Hot Eight's cover of Sexual Healing which is great just all of this stuff putting the beignets on the menu and then they go to Austin they go to Franklin Barbecue as we said this like just prestigious place like that dude has one best chef in the southwest of America I think he's in two episodes of the show that are just entirely devoted to Franklin Barbecue the fact I've been to Texas or I've been to Austin twice mm-hmm. neither time have we gone to this restaurant and still <laughs> there is a daily queue outside of his restaurant it does not yeah. get less popular it is insane like you, you hear about these places and you see these places in like YouTube vloggers stuff and, and stuff and it's just like I appreciate that like it it may not be possible for you to expand or maybe that would like kill the mystique if you did but it's so outrageous that as you said you have to camp out at 6am in Austin where it is like a million degrees <laughs> it's just insane yeah and that's the thing is like I've been to a couple of like the well known famous local places in Austin mm. all of which have kind of got like two or three locations and some of them you will have to like stand around and wait because it's quite a foodie place in some regards it is yeah. but Franklin is the only one that is like the one location like the fact that Austin has the thing where like one of the best barbecue places in the town is in the airport <laughs> <laughs> it's just the weird bizarre thing you get from that city yeah 
Yeah. But yeah, this meat looks insane. I'm oh yeah. Just oh yeah. I, like, I, I, <laughs> I want to go to Austin again, and this time I will definitely do it. It definitely it wipes out a day. The issue was both times I've gone have been to do things other yeah. than eat food. So if I go next time, it'll definitely. Why would you go me. places to do anything other than eat food, Ben? I wanted to go to a music festival. I got to see Kendrick Lamar on Radiohead. I have no comeback. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that I, and I like that touch that they are sold out, but he's held some for him, mm. and, and they're, they're trying it. And like, they only have four of these things. The thing is, like, you watch. I've seen the video of like them doing the twenty-four hours, where like they do have people working twenty-four hours a day, making sure that the meat is like properly cooked and everything like that. Four of those is presumably like they're probably charging like five to ten dollars for each cut of some of that brisket. Yeah, like, yeah. that's an awful lot of money to yeah. just hand someone. I presume that there is some, like, they actually did pay for those bits of meat and it wasn't oh, just yeah, a yeah, favor yeah, yeah. to Carl Casper. But, yeah. like, that's a, probably a big and I like, these days I like that when they're trying it as well. It's not that they have loads, but it's like, given how much you have, like a finite amount, you're eating quite a lot of this. <laughs> oh, I've cut off a bit too much and I'll just have this now yeah, whilst we're, whilst yeah. we're cooking. <laughs> And they do it again in the chef show. Like they eat loads of it and stuff. And I think they actually put Favreau to work on the counter at, at Franklin. Yeah, and then he puts what he calls the Austin Midnight on the menu, which is just a Cubano with barbecue brisket. And they've still got the beignets on there. And, and they're making little burgers, like tiny little burgers. But like, yeah, they look really good. Gary Clark Jr. rocks up and just plays a set while they're all just sitting around. That's fun. I love uh, John Leguizamo's impression of Sofia Vergara when she phones him and they have their awkward, I love you, so good. Um, that's why you get him. I think he does his silly voices and he's just a fun little ball of energy. And then unfortunately they return the truck home and briefly he says that he can't work on the truck because he's going to be too busy with it and we've had a great summer I've enjoyed hanging out with you but this is over now and like the, the earnestness of the goodbyes the, the hugs and everything but then he watches the time lapse video and just is like nah fuck it come work on the truck on weekends and after school I said earlier like that he has this really nice kitchen but the rest of the house is kind of sad and like seeing him after dropping Percy off like going back to his house and it's just like you're just alone here man and then yeah watching the video and the truck does huge business Inez is working on it as well like they don't really get into who Inez is but she has her own publicist and I like isn't she like a star of TV or yeah like like, a it's soap implied or she is someone vaguely famous and like that she just comes by and works on the truck with them like it's just a nice little touch and like we don't know if they're like back together at this point but obviously we will see six months later they get remarried and they had the awkward I love you scene and everything so like Maybe they've. She just wants to spend more time with him, and this he's is what does he's it. He's not hamstrung by exactly. like a menu, and he's not stressed out, and he's got he a is, good relationship. He's with the person his kids. she fell for in the first place again, sort of yes. thing. Yes, and and then the critic obviously tries the food, loves it, won't review it because he can't review things he's invested in. Wants to give him, wants him to be the head chef of a place he's bought. And, yeah, because uh, he sold his blog for eleven million dollars to, to AOL. AOL, <laughs> which feels a little bit dated, but hey. I mean, at that point it, it probably wasn't they were mm. still at force i feel at that time fair enough but yeah it just ends happy like they get this restaurant and we don't even know if it's successful or not but we assume yeah, it is it, and it just ends with them being remarried and yeah, it's just again cute. i wish there was more of the stuff that i liked i do too and i just i guess my tolerance for that first 45 minutes is higher than yours but yeah, as, as I said, I'm under no impression this is like a giant cinematic masterpiece. 
I said to you ahead of time, I feel this is going to be like you with Drive, where like you can hit me with all these things that you have against it, and I have no comeback to them, but I still just really fucking like it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I think I enjoyed this more than you enjoyed Drive or Zero Dark Thirty. Yes. <laughs> uh, like, I, again, like, I legitimately think that the, the last 40 minutes or whatever of this movie are legitimately like really, really fun, and I yeah. want more of them. But it feels like I just, I want someone to nail that narrative movie about food, and I feel yeah. like a big issue with a lot of stuff that is about food is that it's a lot of film people transposing their relationships with critics onto the food business. It's always a villainous food critic or restaurant owner or someone who's getting in the way of the art versus economics. Yeah, it's it's yeah. just a very easy metaphor to do and I just think that it kind of gets in the way of why you want these kind of things. It's why there are so many popular food shows is because like people just like what Watching the process of cooking and it's why yeah. some of the best ones of those are just process shows there's no conflict other than maybe some personal issues what would you say are your favorite food movies apart from this one i really don't know man like that that's what i mean is this feels like the first one of these that really nails that in a way that i'm looking for like i am not looking for a, a julia and julia type experience you know like because i watched julia and julia for the first time the other day and i thought that was really wonderful and yeah, kind of I... was also getting into i understand that it's more of a biopic but there's yeah, still lots that, of food that's the thing. The it's normally like food is the background kind of thing. And this kind of feels like, I know there is a lot of that, like Carla's standing for Favreau. But to me, it, it's so much more about the food itself. And like for it, you know, I will watch Mel Streep all goddamn day. But like, I don't know, this is just far more in the wheelhouse that I am looking for. And I know there are these legendary food movies, some of them. Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, obviously, it is a huge yeah, one. Eat, Drink, but... Man, Woman's fantastic. Jiro Dreams of Sushi is more of a documentary than is anything yeah. anything else. I said I really enjoyed Julia and Julia. Underrated food movie, Phantom Thread, has a lot of really good food scenes in it, mm. but again, not a food movie. It's more yeah. about... I think, like you, I'm looking for someone to make the film that is just the truck for 90 minutes, or yeah. 80 minutes, or something like that. Almost a slightly scripted documentary, almost. Like, you know, throw in some characters and some personal relationships and stuff like that, if you want. But I think this is just what people want. They just want to yeah, see people I mean, hanging think... out. I think one of the closest I saw was on Treme. Like, okay. obviously, it's not a different thing, but obviously, like, they get Anthony Bourdain in to help write that show, and he mm. writes a lot of the kitchen scenes when they start moving more and more into the chef world. But obviously, that show is split into so many different directions because it's from David Simon, Simon and Eric Overmeyer. It's about New Orleans as a city. But when you hire Anthony Bourdain to come in, and bring you more of that authentic chef stuff. I think David Chang's in that show as well is yeah. like one of the people who's teaching the chefs. It's like, again, one of the closest things to actually showing an authentic experience of what it is to be a chef in a narratively focused thing that isn't a documentary or yeah. a, a TV show that's kind of just kind of based around food. Well, there you go. For me, it's the closest I can get to like those YouTube travel vloggers who just go and eat food everywhere that writ large kind of thing you know it doesn't have a huge budget but it's kind of like look we can we can make the food look better than you can with your handy cam so I think, I, think, I think that's the thing is the fact that there is obviously such a big part of the population that is interested in this stuff the fact yeah. that you've got it does like, feel like an underserved market for sure like but that's the thing is like Netflix obviously has so many different things about it and obviously YouTube has become completely full of just entire channels that are able to support multiple 
million dollar salaries or whatever yeah of like some of, they stuff. literally just fly around and they get paid they get free flights like come review our airline food come yeah. review our airline experience and they end up having two channels where one is pure food and one is travel and like this is their life and like obviously it's not as simple as that like editing is such a huge thing that like no one talks about but it is such a like backbreak i mean we do a tiny bit of editing and it annoys me these huge youtube channels like they're gonna have to edit for like oh yeah hours like, and hours and hours on end and it's the part of like, it that is less glamorous but something like binging with babish where it's like yeah. obviously he shoots his videos but then has to go and do a voiceover afterwards like over what he did and all the rest of it like there is so much more work involved in these things but it's obviously no one in the mainstream like bon appetit as we said is probably the closest to something coming from an institution has come to completely dominating yeah i don't even sectors. think about their magazine which is one of the few surviving large magazines in a world that has like binned print media yeah, like it, but like they only exist as the video wing to me <laughs> yeah but like, you forget that it's still all owned by Condé Nast who obviously yeah. has just this huge huge cultural imprint and are part of this cultural monolith and it's why I'm fully expecting people from that world to start popping up and doing independent things yeah. now that they're announcing they're leaving because that yeah. is just the way of things is as this movie says like you want to move away from the thing that is going to hamstring your creativity or yeah. fairness of your pay in the case of Bon Appetit and then you go off and make your own thing and make that thing better yeah. than the thing that existed take, beforehand. Take the popularity you garnered from this place that mistreated you and go go get yours kind of thing. <laughs> this has been our YouTube food podcast. Do you want to uh, just make some recommendations? <laughs> oh god, okay. Uh, Mikey Chen, Mark Weens, Miss Mina, Bon Appetit, obviously. There's, there's, there's many, many, many. I'll get annoyed at myself later for missing some out, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Mike Chen. He's a little bit of a goofball, but like that dude can eat forever and he just travels all over the world and gets really good stuff. Have you got any? Like, is this, is this a thing for you as well? Uh, like, more casually, it's just kind of like the thing that we will stick on, like when we eating food but definitely not something we follow mm. month to month it's definitely just kind of like what we don't want to watch something narrative mm. whilst we're eating or like if we're doing something so let's stick on people eating good food whilst mm. we're eating good food that maybe isn't the same good food that they're eating yeah oh the fung bros i like quite a lot keith from the try guys and when he eats the menu i like that i'm a big fan of like when they go to mcdonald's and other countries and it's like look at all the crazy shit they get there and we get the most basic nothingness like you go to like south Southeast Asia, and they'll give you like an entire huge fucking chicken breast covered in spice in a sandwich rather than like questionable meat that you get in the West. Yeah, I'm regretting my McDonald's order when we were in Singapore when we literally <laughs> travelled throughout a, an entire day on a bus and just needed some comfort food. I looked at the menu and was just like, I just need a Big Mac. I don't need yeah. anything else. Alright, well, I've grown hungry, as will happen when you're watching the movie. I'm gonna try and rustle up some food now. But next week, Benjamin gets his revenge on me after I made him watch Chef. No, you, you enjoyed Chef. We're going to do Boyhood. Yep, we're not I'll doing set aside nine movies. hours of one of my days to watch it. Only almost three. <laughs> so Boyhood will be next time. Ben, will there be movies? There will be. They maybe won't make me as hungry as this one did, though. Nothing could. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.